0: Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits.
1: Waits. Hello
0: and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. Today, we're going to look at the fast-growing retail market in Asia. Let's put this into context a little bit. The latest data from China alone, obviously that's just one market in Asia, is that the Chinese retail market is worth $4.8 trillion dollars of which 840 million is e-commerce. So do the math, it's about 4 trillion just on non-e-commerce retail in China, that sort of traditional bricks and mortar retail, which is bigger than the US alone. So it gives you some idea of the size of that market. And as I said, that's just China. We haven't talked about all the other markets that make up Asia as well, which are growing rapidly. So what are the latest trends that we need to be looking out for? And to, to answer that question, I'm joined by Carson McKelvey, managing partner of Tofu Gear. Carson, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's great to have you here. You're in Hong Kong, yes?
2: Yes, I am. A
1: wonderful
0: city. Yeah, great. I absolutely love Hong Kong. We'll talk about Hong Kong and Asia in a minute. I want to put this into the context. I'm based in Tokyo and here in japan we have this word which is a new word which is bakugai which describes the phenomenon of chinese tourists coming to the tokyo prada or louis vuitton store and cleaning it out you know you'd have these coach loads of chinese tourists coming on effectively what are brand tours of the retail stores in tokyo and that word bakugai It's kind of a new phenomenon in the last couple of years here in Japan. And it comes from the root in Japanese, Gai from shopping and Baku, which means explosion. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a new phenomenon here in Japan. But you've been based based in Hong Kong and you've been living in China for a while. This isn't new to you, right? You've seen this sort of explosion of shopping behavior in Asia for quite some time now, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's correct. And actually, you know, you bring up a funny point here. It's uh, and it's so true, especially with markets like Japan, uh, Korea. Uh, and also even some countries in the Middle East, you know, Dubai is also seeing a lot of this, these Chinese consumers that are traveling and and making the travel experience and uh, finding ways to integrate shopping into that as well, which is where a lot of the trends that we see today are actually coming from. So Japan's a great example, and brands are already taking advantage of this. So one example is actually um, uh, from Richmond Group. So you think, oh, big, you know, old Richemont, which is you know those fine watches and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a new retail concept that's been around for I think a couple of years now um, called Time Valley, and so that is essentially a culmination of several or most of their brands and some of their uh, some brands that are not their brands, uh, all in one space, in downtown Tokyo, mm. and. in-town duty free so you buy the products in the store uh, in Tokyo and you pick them up on your way back to China uh, at the airport and it's entirely focused almost 100% on Chinese tourists all the people in the store speak Mandarin, some of them don't even speak Japanese some of them don't speak English Uh, they all speak Mandarin though Uh, and that is entirely what that business is all about. So it's it's funny you mention that because it's one of the key driving forces, I think, behind a lot of the things here happening in Asia on the retail scene.
0: That's really interesting. I I was unaware of that, and I, I imagine that, you know, that's just one of many kind of incidences of these, you know, these retail stores really upping their game because you kind of imagine that they're, they're with it, they're at the cutting edge of what's going on because they're they're connecting with customers, you know, people are walking in and they're getting feedback on a daily basis. But it's not often the case, is it? Is that retailers can be quite a traditional industry and averse to change, isn't it? Because, you know, in a way it's a bricks and mortar industry, so there's a lot of overhead, et cetera, et cetera. So to embrace like these new ways of doing things seems obvious to us, but in retail, if that's all you ever knew you know, I think there's, there's kind of a resistance to change, isn't there?
2: Yeah, actually, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a resistance to change. It's more, I would say, just a lack of understanding and a lack of abilities or skills or just where to get started. Because with a lot of these things, and this is some, one of the unique things about what I do in my company, because we do a lot of very, you can call it, transformational work uh, with our projects, with our clients. Um, and... What we find is actually everybody's very open to change. They know they must uh, adopt what I like to call kind of like a change behavior or a change mentality, which is, you know, being open and and capable of dealing with change in a very rapid environment, Mm -hmm. a very uh, agile or resilient environment, let's say. Um, But what most people actually, their problem is working in retail is they either A, they don't know how themselves, where to start, Uh, with some of these issues, um, you know, how to be innovative, how to be, you know, gearing towards the next generation of consumers, you know, these problems. Um, And more importantly, they don't know how to do it within the context of their organization. There's lots of great, you know, you can call it self-help guides and, you know, frameworks and all these things out there brought on usually by professional services, um, which are very cookie cutter, you know, attempting to do one size fits all, you know, follow the path, the golden path and it will lead you to, to the riches on the other side. But the truth is for most businesses, that's not the case. Uh, the one thing I always talk about, at least from the digital side, uh, with my sort of insights and presentations that I usually give, um, when people talk about digital transformation and retail, that's true. But the main transformational component here isn't actually the digital part, because most of the technology that's being adopted or integrated is 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 been there for a while. For yeah. the most, uh, the transformation that's happening is really actually a relationship transformation and an organizational culture yeah. transformation. That's really where the change is happening. And so the hesitation is not so much from you know. A lack of uh, will, uh, will, luster or whatever, to, to to change. It's more so just nobody, nobody really has the guts, or, or right. you know, they don't know what to do without, you know, taking serious risks from a career point of view. Let's say so. It it can be very challenging for for some people, especially with some organizations where it's just it's not the right culture to do it, and so it never happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. And often the people who are there at the coalface. Seeing the need for the change, and not necessarily the ones who uh, you know, have the the power to change it it 's often you know taken at headquarters and there 's a bit of a distance between these or you know traditional retail organizations where they had the head office and then the retail branch and so on but we 'll we'll go into that in a minute. We we'll talk a bit about change within retail, especially in the context of Asia as well let 's start at the top and talk about tofu gear what exactly that is, and what the problem you're attempting to solve there is
2: okay so yeah in a very brief nutshell tofu gear is a unified commerce platform provider or i should say more like a solutions provider uh, so what we do is you can imagine like what traditional software vendors do for retail whether it's like a digital commerce solution or a um, you know um mobile apps point of sale systems Warehouse management systems. Okay, mm-hmm. usually uh, when a retailer needs a new one of those things, or they want to implement one and they don't have one, as an example, you know, maybe it's they want to upgrade their POS system, their point of sale system. Uh, they'll go and they'll hunt for you know, ten different vendors. Uh, with different POS offerings. They'll narrow that down to three. They'll go through uh, a request for proposal or an RFP process uh, to then pick a vendor and go with it based on who's got the best price, who's got the most bells and whistles, uh, and and that's it, right? Um, Nowadays, it doesn't really work very well because A, companies are charging more money for these things because there's a lot of bells and whistles, there's a lot of things that uh, need to be customized for solutions, and worst off, the the uh, sort of ecosystem or the infrastructure that makes up the company as a whole, their IT infrastructure, has become much larger and more mm-hmm. complicated. So introducing a new system becomes a very long and expensive process. Okay, So at Tofgear, what we decided to do is, okay, well, let's assume like if we were starting from scratch, right, what would a retail business look like from a systems perspective? What would be the easiest way to manage the business? What would be the most effective a way to deliver the best customer experience uh, and make that as seamless as possible. And so what we ended up coming with, up with is our own platform, which is end-to-end in scope. So that includes point-of-sale e-commerce, mobile commerce, uh, social commerce, everything to do with commerce and everything you need to do to run a retail business uh, and operate all on one platform. Hmm. And it- down to the whole like this omni-channel buzz and this is kind of where the issue and where a lot of people get hiccups if you've been following kind of the latest shows and the latest insights you get a lot of people coming out from retail from professional services from the you know the analyst world um, and from the tech world as well even sometimes and they're saying you know omni-channel isn't really doing anything for us we're not seeing the benefit and the issue is because
0: what well back up a minute what exactly is omni-channel so assume that we don't know anything we don't go to these retail conferences what does that mean
2: Right. So, of course, omni-channel you can think of in a traditional sense. Let's actually, let's even take a step back, okay, to define these things. So in retail, before the internet, before technology, we had what we would call a very single-channel business. You would go to a store, you would buy something, and you would take it out. That was your store channel. Okay, uh, or maybe you had a mail order, so for example, you read a magazine, you like something, and you put a, you know, cash in an envelope with, a, with an order slip, and you send it off in the post, and you receive your product sometime, uh, sometime thereafter, right? That's a very, again, very single channel, you're a mail order company, or you're a retail brick and mortar company. Then what ended up happening was we had this magical thing become, you know, uh, sort of force its way into society, uh, which we call the internet, okay? Then we have all sorts of interfaces and ways to connect to the internet and using the internet as kind of a uh, sort of bridge against any barriers to physical space, okay? And so what ended up happening was, now you can shop in a store, oh, but now you can shop online, okay? And now, even in in kind of more modern times, you can shop on social media platforms. You can shop on specific platforms designated uh, for shopping. You can shop on your mobile phone. You can shop uh, via apps, via fixed programs on a, on a device. right? There's many different ways you can shop. And so the reality of today's world is very what we would call multi-channel, right? So you have many different channels uh, in which the business can engage with customers and customers can shop. Now, the reason why we differentiate omni-channel and multi-channel because of inherent with the word, right? Multi implies that there are many. Omni implies there are many, but at the same time. So with Omnichannel, the idea is you can be shopping in one channel and then maybe swap. So I could be, for example, in a store, uh, but then I can carry that store experience online and continue my shopping process or my checkout process, if you will, uh, on a website, for example, or maybe it's on a mobile app or something, right? There's many. The point is the consumer has the choice to choose when and how they uh, interact with the brand and what sort of engagement that follows that. Um, but the problem with omnichannel, and why I don't like omnichannel in, in today's world, and why many people are probably seeing some not so good case studies coming out of trying these things, is it's very surfacey. It's taking the same old business mentality and applying it just with technology as a band-aid and tools to kind of connect what is still a very old business model. So while businesses who are following this omnichannel sort of uh, strategy, have been able to capture customers very seamlessly in a 360 degree view, right? They have that, but what they don't have is the ability to then manage that and operate on that. They don't have any way to actually use this across uh, the business because the business itself, how it is structured, is still very siloed. Mm. It's still very traditional. So you'll have some guy who's the e-commerce director. He's responsible and only measured based on e-commerce performance. If the stores then do something that, May or may not, and it, it, it's 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 always a debate, right? Drive more traffic to the stores, right? That e-commerce director, his KPI is 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 getting taken away from, right? And then the retail guy who's running the retail stores, he's getting more sales in his stores or her stores, um, and he's getting you know the bonus at the end of the year, right? Where e-commerce guy, oh, the e-commerce didn't do as well, and and sometimes it's vice versa, right? And so there's always kind of this uh, sort of mentality where you know the KPIs because they're always measured based on that silo uh, for each individual person or each individual department that there's not very much actual incentive for them to work together to necessarily say, say hey my store channel is going to help drive online sales and vice versa mm-hmm. and so inherently the mechanics and the operations behind it are still also very segregated. Mm-hmm. You'll have You know, orders being made online being fulfilled from one location, uh, whereas orders that were placed in a store but for delivery still being fulfilled from the store. uh, And they're not sharing inventory visibility. And that creates, you know, broken experiences at the end of the day. So, why we say we're a unified commerce company, right, going back to the original question, is essentially to solve that problem, to not only have that so called omnichannel customer experience and have that capability and that sort of what we like to call customer centricity, right, where the customer is in charge. They get to choose how they uh, want to engage with the brand, but also be able to fulfill on that side as well, to be able to offer that same level of seamlessness inside the business itself. And the best way to do that is to have a platform, one platform, to run the entire business. And that's exactly what we provide.
0: Gotcha. So, just to summarise, so I understand properly that Omni channel is is very much a buzzword within retail today. Yeah. And what it promises is to deliver some seamless experience for a customer, such that the the customer can take an experience. Maybe they see something online that they see, uh, in a pair of sneakers online. They go to the store, and you know that's a seamless experience you know, even like syncing up inventory and pricing and all those kind of things, offers and campaigns. That would be the omni-channel promise. The problem, however, is that at the end of the day, as you say, this is very surfacey. that organizations still operate in their silos. I.e., right? yes. that the e-commerce manager, if he was to run some kind of campaign and drive a customer to the store and he went, then and bought from the store, the customer bought at the store, then the e commerce manager could be losing out because his reward and measurements are going to come down to what he does on the e commerce side of things, not what happens across the whole group, right? And that's the fundamental problem. That's why exactly. you're talking about creating a platform. Okay, so that's interesting and very noble as a course to be able to tackle that. I think the challenge now is tackling that because you're dealing with cultural aspects within these organizations and you know that i'm just going to be naive here because i don't know how this actually works but you know that sounds like that would work really well for a small retailer who could easily engineer their business around something like that but let's say i was a larger established retail like a burberry as an example you know with online offline and everything you know that would be a lot harder for me because yeah. I'm trying to not just build an experience for the customer, but I'm also having to reorg the whole brand, right? So how does that work in reality?
2: So the reality is businesses that try, and I've seen it time and time again, again, to kind of, you know, say, oh, we we need to transform and they kind of, you know, embark on these huge uh, sort of, organizational restructures, these huge like new implementations, they go shopping for all the latest IT stuff, Um, those usually don't work very well. Um, They end up spending a lot of money really fast and getting very little done. What works really well and where we have seen the most success is not necessarily for at least speaking from my industry's point of view, it is not something that my competitors would like to do because they don't make a lot of money doing it, Um, but to go through the process of actually uh, taking kind of like a, a try, or a, let's call it a test and learn approach. Whereas rather than going through these things in a very huge kind of massive change, it's more like a very baby step approach. Mm. That- Try something small here. Try something small here. Let's see what the impacts were here. Let's see what the impacts were there, and use that as a basis for making bigger decisions later. So rather than speeding into it and saying, "Okay, you know, we are really committed to this," we, you know, which is all great and fine, but taking it on a step-by-step approach, being very agile and fast to fail uh, and willing to fail, because that's where you have learned the most is through failure. Uh, it's fast and, and willing to fail. Uh, I think is an essential component to that. So the way we do it uh, with our clients, is always a very partnership kind of oriented uh, approach. Everything is done at a very small scale to begin with and grown out uh, from from there. So it's never something that's really just like, oh, I need to restructure everything overnight. It's more something like, let's take one step and adapt. Take another step and adapt and continue that adaptation process.
0: So what would be a, a quick real example that a retailer you've seen maybe across multiple retailers where they could take this approach and see results without obviously making some kind of cross organizational change. You know, you're kind of like selling in the the concept first, isn't it? Are there any those kind of quick wins if you were to go as you say, not necessarily the omnichannel approach, but the unified approach?
2: Yes. So I can't name any examples by name because there's too many legalities and things that yeah. you can imagine from my business. But, um, generalities,
0: but, gen- generalizations.
2: Generalities, the, the best approach I've seen is starting even at the within the organizational level at a region, a particular region. Maybe it's Hong Kong. Hong Kong I've always found to be an interesting place uh, because it's, it's such a great test market. This, uh, you know, the city is, is very well connected. Mobile penetration is something like 200 something plus percent. That is, on average, you know, people have more than uh, uh, more than two connected uh, data-enabled uh, smart devices, smartphones, and things like that with SIM cards or whatever. Um, you know, okay, taxi drivers here really inflate that number because they have, on average, like seven devices or something ridiculous. But that point aside, you know, it's always been kind of a great test market. Other test markets are free trade zones in China, uh, Japan. Uh, you name it. There's a few of them out there that just work really well for some reason, for one reason or another, I should say. But the point is start regionally, start local, engage local stakeholders, and set up what I like to call a dream team. And a dream team, and this goes right back to that issue of that, you know, KPI and performance issue is it's made up of a little bit of everyone, and everyone on the team gets measured the same. And it is how the success of this new strategy as a whole uh, work so you'll have someone from retail, you'll have someone from IT, you'll have someone from marketing, you know, someone from ops, maybe someone from finance, maybe a uh, you know one of the senior management, top top management, uh, if you will, as well involved in the whole process, managing different stakeholders and things, and making it something that's part of the organization. That is to be professional changers, not not for the sake of change, but for the sake of improvement, for the sake of effectiveness for the sake of efficiency, uh, and maximizing results in that way. And the dream team is responsible, okay, so maybe you have someone from e-commerce, but you also have someone from the brick and mortar side. going back to the original example, they're being measured the same. Right. Uh, And starting at even from an organizational level, starting that way. And then looking at it from the systems perspective, looking at it from the customer experience perspective, uh, looking at it from the business and operations process design perspective. Uh, These are kind of the three main areas that we talk about, right, as as it relates to people's jobs in retail Um, and really starting small on every single level. Uh, And then Going on from there, just seeing where it takes you because at the end of the day, there is no one size fits all. At this stage, there's really, once you get to this point, there really is no one size fits all solution to follow.
0: Um, What I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to get an idea, like to picture it, if you like, so people can understand what the manifestation of that would be. So, you talk about obviously the, the importance of putting together cross-departmental teams which kind of breaks out those silos and that sort of infighting for resources so you you create this dream team of people who want to make change explain that to me in terms of okay well how does that actually manifest in a, a retail store would that then be a store would be run by this team or you would have within a store a concession which would be run by this team or what how would that actually manifest
2: From our experience, it's always been at least one store that they would try this on, Um, and not just from the operations perspective or the system perspective, but again, how that store is managed, and even the, the associates as well who work in the store, who are actually meeting with customers who are that front line, very important to have them involved, especially in the continuous feedback loop that is probably also another considerable point to make which often gets overlooked because there's the, basically whenever whenever these businesses undergo any sort of initiative or any change there are two people in or two sets of people that always get ignored one is a store associate two surprisingly is the customer hmm. nobody ever bothers a hey, customer what if we had this new you know sort of e-commerce capability where you could buy online and pick up products in store would you like that um, and it's literally as simple as asking customers uh, that way that you can actually get a lot of feedback about before you invest. And I think the greatest example of this is I've seen many companies, and it's especially here in Hong Kong because of the sort of hotness for next day delivery, but I think that that's, uh, can be applied for pretty much any market in Asia. Everybody wants to be able to, uh, who's doing fulfillment, final mile delivery to customers at their homes and things, they want to be able to deliver next day. But if you look at research and you look at actual studies, and there's many of them out there from Forrester, from McKinsey, from you know, you name it, everybody's done a study on this. Actually, more than 80% of customers are perfectly happy to receive products within five working days or five days, let's say. Next day delivery is very marginal in comparison to, for example, uh, you know, being able to order a product while you're in a store. That is out of stock in that store. Mm-hmm. So I go to a store. I buy. I want to buy something. I try it on. I try on a bunch of stuff. I figure out my size. And the one I want to buy, they're, they're not in stock. Most stores, in fact, like less than 12% of retailers today, uh, if I remember correctly, this is a BRP statistic. So they're pretty good at this stuff too. Um, less than 12% of retailers actually offer the ability to do to have what we call endless aisle, which is essentially. There's no inventory limit. If it's not in the store, somebody will help you order it and get it delivered to your house in a very convenient way. Um, and that's that can provide so much more value, just simply looking at the numbers. You mentioned in the very beginning, right? Uh, you know, the, the retail market in, in, in China is a four trillion dollar industry, right? Mm. Um, and only a, around 10% of that actually is e-commerce. The rest is is is, uh, is brick and mortar, right? So is getting final mile delivery done in in a day really that important compared to being able to say really offer the best fulfillment experience inside your actual physical space where everybody is still shopping? Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty obvious answer. But the surprising fact is the expectations between retail brands and what is being done because of just the hotness of the topic, right, versus what customers are expecting. There's always this gap. Uh, And so having a team. Going back to what we were discussing before, having a team to be able to sit down and objectively measure this uh, as this dream team is supposed to do because they don't care about how well the e-commerce is performing versus the in-store commerce. At the end of the day, what needs to be looked at is this is just a retail brand. It is one retail brand, not three, not four, not measured by channels, Okay, going back to even before. Um, and it's really just one single retail experience, and being able to measure that success across those channels, and that's really what the heart of the problem is. Um, so yeah.
0: Do you think that what you're doing is easier? I mean, this is a bit of a, I suppose, it's a bit of an unfair question, but I'm going to try it anyway. Do you think it's easier doing what you're doing in Asia because maybe a number of the brands have less of a legacy? And therefore, maybe it's easier to work with them because they have less to lose. And maybe also the customers have different kind of expectations. Whereas, you know, people have been shopping for generations, maybe in other countries. And that's kind of what they're used to. It's just sort of a a very blunt question. It may not be the case. But I'm just curious at what the Asian angle is here as well in terms of what you're doing and how that makes it relevant being based in Asia, what you're doing.
2: Yeah, for what we do, being based here was completely by choice. So there is a strategic element as providing our services because, as you kind of mentioned, there is a bit of a different dynamic here in Asia uh, that you can't find in Europe right now and that you certainly cannot find in the U.S. right now. But that is not necessarily because... Of you know my industry or, or the competitiveness, competitiveness, or even what you mentioned about uh, you know legacy systems and whatnot. Every business is going to have what we call quote unquote legacy systems, right? Even if they were made only a few years ago, they will still have some legacy type systems because systems are constantly adapting and changing. And that's just a, a respect of the of the market that I'm in, which is being that guy to actually offer more of a service. Uh, of making sure that the systems that our clients are using are always up to date, are not legacy. They're always the newest and greatest technology. Um, so, and, but that's, that's the, not the real point here. The real point here is it actually comes down to the markets themselves and the way consumers shop and how retail businesses are able to kind of service those markets. And Asia is something that is completely different than the US right now. So obviously in the US, e-commerce is a big topic and the US always being kind of a big sort of, topic and retail in and of itself, whenever we're talking about trends and things, the U.S. has always used as kind of a benchmark. And I think that's a bit of a fallacy because the markets here in Asia are so different and so much more, um, you know, more dynamic. Whereas in the U.S., the trend is very stable because, you know, how, the, how do you
0: mean they're more dynamic? Can you sort of just justify that a little bit so people can understand what you mean by that?
2: Yeah. So great example in the U.S., right? The, the space between cities geographically is quite large. A lot of people live in suburban or uh, in more rural areas, let's call them, in the United States. And so for practical reasons, it's, it's very costly to have stores all over the place as what basically happened in the U.S. Uh, over the last decade. People built stores everywhere, and the whole competitive edge was to be where the customer was, regardless of where that was. Now, customers are a little bit more fickle they shop online, it's more convenient. And for that market, it makes a lot of sense. Now let's compare that to Hong Kong, right? Uh, or really any city for the most part, but especially Hong Kong. It is. It, in fact, a country, okay, it's a, a special autonomous region, but it is essentially like a country, uh, the way it works here, in terms of borders and everything, right? So you can't just go across the, you know, it's not like your day job to go across the border and go shopping at the at the shopping mall next door that's in mainland China, right? Uh, you know, you, you, you kind of go with what you got here. Um, and Nobody orders anything online because most of us live on top of shopping malls. There's no point. Why do I got to order something online when I can go down there, I can touch the product, feel the product, I can mm-hmm. ask questions to the store associate, um, and I can get that a whole in-store experience um, that is in many ways, in this case, actually more convenient than ordering something online where I got to fumble around with some websites and you know figure out, oh, did I get the right size, the right colors, is this going to look good on me, is this, gonna, is this really what I want? You know, there's no incentive there. And yet everybody still says, oh, Hong Kong is just lagging behind in e-commerce. I don't think they're lagging behind at all in e-commerce. I think everything is what it is because mm. that's what the consumer decides what it is, right? right. Um, you the can't
0: the consumer's it. not demanding e-commerce. The consumer is just demanding more convenience, right, and a better experience. And Exactly. In so the e- U.S., e-commerce has been a way of doing that. But in Hong Kong, as you say, it's not necessarily the way, right?
2: Exactly, but then it gets down to how you define e-commerce, because for me, I don't define e-commerce as the very single-channel-minded approach, where Mm e-commerce is you go onto a website, you buy something, and it gets delivered to your home. For me, e-commerce is just simply the fact that you can view, see, and potentially do some kind of commerce activities online, whether that is ending the, the transaction there or not. So many hong kong consumers because of the connectivity because of the rapid you know the speed of the internet everybody here has a smartphone or two um, you know it is very normal behavior to go online and search up a product or search up a store see what's available in that physical space before buying and so having that same capabilities of e-commerce, and, and in some cases, they'll even reserve products. That's another popular thing to do. They'll make a reservation or they'll book a, a sort of, you can call it like a consultation mm-hmm. or you know just some time with a store associate. So they're kind of guaranteed that their time is being well spent when they go to the store. These are all things that are really hot right now for retail in Hong Kong. But when, they, when you look at Hong Kong, right, it's, it's still relatively speaking to the, you know, to the rest of the world, a fairly small market, mm-hmm. albeit a very key market, in most cases, but a very small market. Hmm. So then, how does that compare to, say, China, which is, you know, an arm's length away, relatively speaking? You go to China and everything changes. Cash disappears. The use for cash is gone. Okay, Credit cards even, gone. Why? Because everybody uses WeChat. WeChat is the dominating force behind day-to-day transactions and commerce. So, while well, we might deploy one solution as an example from a technology perspective in Hong Kong, how that looks like for, the, for, for like a China counterpart will be absolutely completely different. Mm. And you don't get that in the U.S. You don't get that even in most European markets. It's a bit the same. Whereas the dynamic, dynamicism and the difference in changes in, in consumer behavior from market to market to market, you go to certain markets in Southeast Asia and compare them with, say, China, compare them with Japan, compare them with Korea. You know, it's a relatively small geographical area with so much diversification. China is like a completely, if you look at them almost like from a geneticist point of view, they're completely different or completely different DNA. They're like almost completely different species of consumers. They shop completely different, and it's all through WeChat, and it's all through online platforms as being the basis, and physical markets and places still playing a very key but supporting role. Whereas, again, where if you come to Hong Kong, it's the exact opposite. Physical space, brick and mortar, is commerce, The rest is just a supporting role it is a function of consumer loyalty it is a competitive edge to have Mm -hmm. it is not something that is necessarily the place of commerce and the place of transactions and where a lot of people get get kind of stuck is they see trends uh like from the us they see trends sometimes even from china and they think that is the direction of retail across the board that is what we need to 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 focus on but that's not the case
0: Um, yeah that's fascinating i mean even how it changes within you know what would be twenty or thirty kilometers if you were go from Hong Kong to the border to Shenzhen and so on. I'm curious. You mentioned as well that you talked about trends. And now that we're on the subject, there's something I want to ask you about, which is you've really just teed that up in your last statement about you know what's happening in the U S. For example, as as a sort of a a lead into what could be happening in the world and so on. There's been two really big developments in retail especially on the news side of things in the last year, you've got, for example, Amazon buying into Whole Foods, which was, you know, Amazon's shift from being, you know, almost predominantly online to having now an offline presence. I know they probably don't see it like that because of the way they're organized, but, you know, they're buying into a retail store which had a very, very strong customer base. And then you also, I mean, you've seen a similar shift as well. You've seen Alibaba in that space as well now in China. So it's very, you know, it's very interesting. I wonder what you make of that, that two of the largest, the world's largest e-commerce groups providers are now buying Well, in a traditional sense we're buying down that chain but you know we can't look at it in that sense but that's how traditional retailers probably would look at it what's going on
2: yeah it's really I would say quite natural I would say um, when I first heard about not just Alibaba but also uh, more recently with Amazon you know it didn't come much as a surprise because the truth is it's it's, it's kind of the, the least understood right now Mm-hmm. From history perspective, but by far the most uh, kind of blue skies, most potential, greatest potential for growth, is competing not by the traditional four P's of marketing. So that's product, price, promotion, place. Right. That's how we typically think about the different variables of competition. Right. At a very high level, uh, but but sort of the fifth element, uh, which is not a P
1: but an E, and that is the experience. Right. What experience, uh, what sort of emotional uh, experience are you getting from, you know, engaging with a particular brand or engaging with a particular retailer? Uh, That's really what's differentiating different uh, brands today. So they're not competing anymore on brand or 4Ps. They're actually competing by what experience they're getting for their consumers. So if you look at, um, you know, and compare traveling as an example compared to retail and the growth in, in travel, uh, around the world that 's a very, really, really good indicator If you look at restaurants right Food and beverage is starting to dominate shopping spaces because they're more experiential. People go there, they get to taste food. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a place to gather with friends and, and with colleagues and acquaintances and sort of, it's not just about the product that you're getting in the box, right? You're not going to a restaurant to get some takeout food and sit down and eat it, right? You're, you're going there because somebody's going to serve you something nice, something warm, something sizzling, right? There's more of an experiential component to that. Um, and so retailers that are sort of uh, kind of really next generation or ahead of this are the ones who are providing uh, those kinds of what I like to call sizzling experiences. And again, it goes right back to what I was saying before about Chinese consumers and their traveling. You know, they're going shopping while they're traveling because that's part of the travel experience. They're, they're going to new markets, experiencing new things, um, but, at the same time, picking up some new uh, the latest you know uh, handbag or the latest uh, jacket or maybe a new uh, set of makeup or maybe a new watch, whatever you have it. They're going and doing those things along the same time because, uh, it, well first of all, it goes into the Chinese genetics of, the sort of the consumer behavior today, which is very noble riche, kind of like what you would have seen in the, in the US in the 1950s. And I think that's kind of really some of the same logic or the same thinking, just in a more modern, uh, context with the you know, technology and, and the capability to travel and, uh, sort of blending of, of borders and things. Um, so that's really where a lot of this is actually coming from when you think about it but at the end of the day the experience is where uh, brands are starting to differentiate themselves and just the impact that that has in Asia is much larger than you would say uh, necessarily definitely for the United States uh, but even a little bit in Europe as well.
0: Fantastic that was a great walkthrough in the Asian retail market and that was Carson McKelvey everybody the man well a managing partner of tofu gear Carson before you go uh, we want you to share with us some links or a link where people can find out a bit more about you your story and or tofu gear
1: yeah let's just go to our website TofuGear.com. Um you can see pretty much everything about our company what we do do watch out for us at some events as well. We do sponsor, host, and/or um, organize a lot of events, especially in Hong Kong. So if you're in the sort of Hong Kong area uh, and there's any retail events, then we'll probably you'll probably meet us there. Yeah. That's, that's the best way to put it. So,
0: fantastic. And I see as well you have like a little demo booth as well with like well. Mini shops, mini retail stores, right actually, at these events where you can kind of walk up and test things right that must be quite an experience
1: yes we're very big on that we don 't like to sell what we call vaporware, so we 're very big on making these experiences and bringing them to life and letting people touch and feel them for themselves and not just you know um, talk about them
0: all the time, right so yeah, fantastic. Carson, thank you so much. And we didn't talk about your backstory as well. Obviously, you know, listeners listening to this may see a a change in the audio quality in the last sort of five minutes, but that's because Skype was playing up. So we had to cut things a little bit short. But there's such a fascinating backstory as well there about yourself, Carson, but maybe that will be the subject of a part two you know unfinished business in that story so please come back on at some point in the future and update us on that and hopefully with skype playing ball with us a little bit better we can get the full insight into you know how you ended up in china and hong kong as well and the reasons why you made that jump from where you were where you started out but as i say that's unfinished business that's something for the future so Carson, thank you so much for sharing with us your insights today that was fascinating
1: Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. And of course, happy to come back as well. Uh, Looking forward to it. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.